Oh. How's everybody tonight? Good. I'm stoked. We get to start a new book. We're going to be in the book of Ruth tonight. So if you would join me, open it up to the book of Ruth. We'll, uh, we'll kick things off there. As we finished up the book of Judges, I'm feeding back. Boom. 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 Oh, I'm not feeding back anymore. As we finished up the book of Judges, no, I'm feeding back again. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Anyhow, I'll get over it. As we finished up the book of Judges, two things marked the book of Judges. That is, in those days there was no king in Israel. And secondly, everyone did whatever was right in their own eyes. So everybody did what they thought was right. And we as human beings don't have an ability to really understand right from wrong. Right? We, didn't we learn that from the Garden of Eden? Uh, Adam and Eve, remember the tree and the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil? How'd that work out for us? Yeah, there you go. Careful. <laughs> so as we look at that, as we see that, we, we recognize in the book of Judges, we have this real failure because the people in the book of Judges would not set up Christ or would not set up the Lord as their king. So it wasn't an, a life lived for him. You know, to love like he loved, to live like he lived, to be like he is. To follow his word and allow God's word to guide their, their precepts. In fact, we discover that the tribe of Levi failed their job of teaching the people. The people just tried to mix everything else around them from all their neighbors into their lives. And we have a time, 400 years, of real floundering for the nation of Israel. But in the midst of the 400 years of floundering, God weaves an incredible story a love story about a good Jewish man named Boaz that means strength and his falling in love with and marrying a Gentile bride. And anytime we see a story like that, it ought to prick up our ears that we want to, wow, I mean, we have a, a picture of a Savior who reaches out and marries a Gentile bride in the midst of all this chaos. And it's such a great picture prophetically of what Jesus Christ did bringing the light to the Gentiles. So we'll see that as we take a look. The world being like it is in the time of the judges. Everyone doing what's right in their own heart and mind. And when we pick up the, the book of Ruth, that's where we're going to be. That's the place that we're going to find ourselves. In fact, it says in verse 1 of Ruth chapter 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So we know where we're at, right? The time of the judges, 400 years of ups and downs. In that time, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab. He, his wife... And his two sons. So it starts off telling us where we're at in the time of the judges. In the time of the judges, a certain man who lived in Bethlehem, Judah. Bethlehem means the house of bread. 
And Judah means praise. So he lived in the house of bread and praise. And there's a famine in the land. Now we already know, we studied the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. We know what a famine meant. Famine meant that the people were ignoring the Lord. They're ignoring his ways, ignoring his law. So he said, I'll withhold the rain. And if he withholds the rain, that brings famine. The point of it was to turn to the Lord and recognize, oh, sorry, Lord, we're getting ahead of you or behind you or doing our own thing. But what the people did during the time of Judges was call on another god. His name was Baal. See, he's the god of the storms. So they would pray to Baal and give sacrifice to Baal to try to make it rain. Rather than turn their attention back to the Lord. So you have this man trying to lead his family. He lives in the house of bread. But there's no bread in the house of bread. Because the people have turned their back on the Lord. And he decides to leave the house of bread, and go to Moab. Now, the psalmist has a a neat little phrase that he uses to speak about Moab. He says, Moab is my wash pot. If you want to translate that to today's language, Moab is the toilet. You're living in the land of bread, or in the house of bread, in the land of praise, And you leave that to go seek a better life in the toilet. And a lot of times, we see that happen in the life of believers. We see that happen over and over and over again. Here they're they're, they're coming to the house of God. They're, They're being fed bread from God's word. They have an opportunity to grow and know him. But how many times have we watched people turn their back on that situation as God's growing them, as God's developing them, turn their back and go out into the world and try to find something better out there. That's no different. Here in the time of the book of Ruth, we are introduced to this family who's running from famine rather than running to God. Running from hard times into the arms of the world rather than running from hard times into the arms of God. Uh, we all have that choice. Every time we face those things, we all have that choice. What, what choice will we make? What do we desire? What do we want? And so it goes on in verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. Elimelech means God is king. But remember in the time of Judges, in those days there was what? No king in Israel. Elimelech had a name that God was king. But does that mean God's your king? Obviously from his choices, we don't see him going toward the Lord, right? We see him running to the world. Or literally the enemies of God. So he's going in the opposite direction. Elimelech is his name. God is my king. And his wife's name is Naomi. Naomi means pleasant. Naomi's going to be in the story all the way through. Because behind every man is a good woman. woman. See, the smart guys knew how to answer that, huh? (laughs) So, (laughs) So we see Elimelech and Naomi. And listen to this. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Chilion. Now, 
You know, back in those days, names really meant something. And I have no idea why anybody would name their kids this. Malon means weak or puny. And Chilion means crybaby. So you have uh, children named weak and puny and crybaby. You have a father whose name is God is my king and his wife is pleasant. Living in the, the house of bread in the land of praise and trading all that in to go to the world. And try to find a, a better life out there. But one of the things we don't see from God is my king is a desire to seek the Lord for direction. Where shall I go, Lord? What shall I do? So though his name is God is my king, we don't see any reference from him toward the Lord in any way whatsoever. And it says of these two sons that they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and they remained there. They remained there. Now, one of the things we know about Moab, Moab worshiped the god Chemosh. And Chemosh uh, required human sacrifice. And here we have these guys going to the Moabites, dwelling in that land, living in that place, raising a family in that kind of circumstance. Scripture says there, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left were their two sons. First thing that happens when we leave the house of bread and the land of praise and go into the world is God will not be our king. Elimelech dies first. And in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever was right in his own eyes. So Elimelech dies in the land of Moab. He never comes back to the house of bread. He never comes back to the land of praise. As he turned his back on that and ran to the world. And in this place where they're trying to raise a family, where, <laughs> where Naomi has her two sons, which obviously are not the strongest young men, right? There in the land of Moab, it says in verse 4, they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other is Ruth. And they dwelt there ten years. Now, what do we know about pagan wives? Well, the Lord already said earlier to the kings to not have the kings or not have the rulers of Israel multiply wives. Why? Because they will lead you to other gods. And here they have married pagan wives. And that was the whole concept behind the Jews not marrying pagan wives so that they would stay in a place of worship. But where have they gone? They've cashed it all in. They've cashed in everything. It's no longer we're good Jewish people or we serve uh, the Ahavahweh or Jehovah or the I Am. We are basically Moabites now. We're in the world completely. I don't know that the famine lasted for 10 years, but I know that they didn't go back home. They stayed in the world. A lot of times for us, if we make a journey away from God's direction and what God's doing in our life, 
what we find is a long detour. Anybody ever had a long detour? I had a long detour. 13 years I had. I can totally understand 10 years. 13 years, if God said go right, I went left. If the Lord said it was blue, I said it was black. I didn't want to have any concept or recollection or direction from him whatsoever. (laughs) We see the same thing here. We see them taking on pagan wives. We see them turning their back completely on their faith. We see them in a, in a faraway land, and we see the sons following their father. And one of the things we see is they go further. Dad just went to Moab. They married it. Well, the scripture goes on to tell us, Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Scripture lays out for us that true strength is found in the furnace of affliction. And that God loves us so much when we find ourselves in a place of disobedience to Him. He will not just leave us there at peace. That we don't find peace until we have peace with God. And so the family goes there and things are not good. It's not better. You guys, we have to understand, they went to the world. Did things get better? In Bethlehem, Judah, they had no bread. But in Moab, she has no family. In Bethlehem, Judah, she had everything. In Moab, she has nothing. Well, she may have a cupboard full of food and and maybe they made a better living and they have more money, but that's it. That's pretty empty compared to what she did have. When they originally left Bethlehem, they felt like, we don't have anything here. But they're going to realize when they were in Bethlehem, they had it all. And we have to come to that place in our relationship with God that we realize when we're in the house of bread, in the land of praise, when we're where God wants us to be, even if it's hard, It's better than being in the world and having the things that the world promises. It's better than all of that. So we see that she's come to this place and she's lost it all. And in verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughter, her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that... The Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Now you might not have noticed. But in the first five verses there's absolutely no mention of the Lord. In verse 6 there is. (coughs) In the first five verses it's all focused on what I think is right. But in verse 6 we see a change. A change that begins to happen in Naomi. She recognizes that the Lord has visited his people by giving them bread. I love that phrase, by the way. The Lord has visited his people by giving them bread. There's a lot of ways God's done that. Remember in the book of Egypt, or in the book of Egypt, in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel left Egypt, They came to a time in their wilderness wanderings where the Lord gave them bread, right? Bread from heaven. God always called it bread from heaven. God never called it manna. 
The people called it manna. Manna means, what's this? They got tired of, of manna. They got tired of God's provision. But his provision was bread from heaven. John chapter 6, Jesus says, In the wilderness, God gave your fathers bread from heaven, but I am the true bread from heaven. When I read this phrase, God visited his people and gave them bread, sustenance. To me, it's a real picture of the truth that God one day would visit his people in the flesh and give them bread from heaven. Jesus Christ, I am the bread of life. Come to them. Here, Naomi is realizing in this place in the world where they thought everything was going to be better, that everything's better back home. The good news about that is it's never too late to go home. Never too late to turn around. It's never too late even after 10 years or 13 years or 20 years or however many years it might be. It's never too late when we realize that the Lord has visited his people and given them bread. Sustenance, that which we need to live is in him. When we realize that, never too late to go home. Naomi has come to that place. So she brings her her daughter-in-laws to her. And she realizes that there's bread back home. So in verse 7 it says, Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. What I see in verse 7 is what we would call in the scripture the fellowship of suffering. We have three women who have all lost their husbands. One woman who lost both her sons. The other two don't have any children. And here they, they begin their trek, they begin their journey. Naomi's saying, I'm going back home. I'm going back to the land, to the house of bread and the land of praise. I'm going back. I'm going back to the Lord. <clears throat> and as she begins her journey, they all go together. And the daughters got up too to leave the world, the toilet, and go back to the land of promise or go to the land of promise. Every time that happens, Satan's going to jump up and say, it's too late. You've done too much. You've come too far. You've gone too far in this direction. You've made too many wrong decisions. You've done too many wrong things. I have a a little poem, and I can't recite it for you because I'll never remember it right. But here's the point of the poem. The point is, there are times when we think about the past, we have regrets But the Lord says, my name is not I was. And there's times when we worry about the future. But the Lord says, my name is not I will be. He says, stay right here in the present. Because my name is I am. That's the place we need to be. Not in the place where the enemy comes, Satan comes and tells you about all your failures and brings all that regret. Regret? Just like sin has been forgiven, washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said, don't worry about the things tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble, right? Stay focused in the now, in the present. That's the place where God is. So they all get up, make great decisions, and they're going to head towards the Lord in verse 7. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each 
to your mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So she (laughs) encourages her daughters-in-law to leave, to go back home. She gives a blessing that the Lord deal well with you because you have been good to me. She says, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. So the first time she says it, they're, they're both, hey, we're going with you. We're going where you go. And they kissed her. And they felt like they made that decision. Oh, we're, we're, it's you and us. We're, we're together till the wheels fall off. When the, the scripture tells us that Naomi, <clears throat> Naomi said, no, turn back, my daughters. Will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Literally, Naomi is saying, there's no hope with me. See, in the book of Leviticus, there was a thing called the Leverite marriage. The Leverite marriage, man, if you married a man in a family and he died before you were given children, you had no hope. It was your husband or your sons that took care of you. So you don't have anybody to take care of you. And not very men that wanted to marry somebody who had already been married before. So your opportunities were were greatly diminished. Well, according to God's rule, if that family had another brother... He would take you as wife and provide a son for you. That was an opportunity for you to be cared for. That you would have hope. That you would have a future. And that son would be raised in the name of your first husband who died. So God trying to cover, trying to provide. This concept of the Leverite marriage is all throughout the book of Ruth. Naomi's saying, I don't have any more sons. I'm an old woman. I'm not about to have any more anytime soon. And if I did, are you going to wait till they're old enough to marry you? I don't have anything to give you. I have nothing to offer. No hope of a, of a future. So she says, turn back. Turn back. She says in verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and then bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughter. It grieves me very much for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Is that what happened? Isn't that what we say? Isn't that how we act? We find ourselves making a rash decision, never seeking the Lord. We leave the house of bread and the land of praise. We go dwell in the world. In the world, we get our butt kicked. Life goes sideways. We lose everything. And at the point where we decide to turn and take our our attention back to the Lord, we feel like the Lord has done this to me. That God did it. God's hand was upon me. He's done this to me. God hates me. On Sunday night, remember, we studied (laughs) Jeremiah chapter 29. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 is a, is a scripture often quoted by people. It says, from the Lord, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. People quote that and put it on the refrigerator, but they forget the context. That verse is given to the nation that is enchained in slavery heading to Babylon, who had lost everything. Families, money, homes, property. They had everything taken away from them. And as they're heading into captivity, God says to them as encouragement, I know the thoughts I think toward you. My thoughts toward you are good. And we talked about, he didn't say easy, but he said they're good. A lot of the circumstances we find ourselves in, we look at them and we say, Lord, there's no way this can be good. But God says, I know the thoughts that I have toward you. My thoughts are good. His plan is good. The circumstance may be very hard and difficult and we may think we can't get through it, but it doesn't change the truth that God's plans are good. His plans are good. Here Naomi is in that place where she's blaming God for her circumstance. And the only thing God has done for Naomi is love her enough not to let her go. Isn't it? To love her enough to woo her back home. To give her an opportunity to go back. She can't see the plan of God yet. But you and I, we can know how the book of Ruth ends. And you and I, it's easy for us as we read this to forget about what it's like for Ruth in that place. And I want to challenge you as we read this, stay with Ruth where she's at. And stay with Naomi where she's at. In this place of despair and in this place thinking, I've lost it all and God hates me. I've been there before. There was a time in my life I'd wake up every single morning and start my day by saying, God hates me. My life is sideways. Nothing ever works out. I, I am spinning my wheels and not getting anywhere. But during that entire time, it's interesting, I never asked the Lord for guidance. I never sought his will for my life. Because in those days, there was no king in Jackie's life. And he did whatever was right in his own eyes. But when it went south, he blamed God. That's how we do. That's the attitude many times that we'll have. And that's what's going on with Naomi. But it doesn't change the truth. Jeremiah 29, 11 is true. I know the thoughts I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil for what? To give you a future and a hope. God is always working in our behalf. In the New Testament, he said it like this. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Not we hope, not we think. He said we know. Not most things, some things every once in a while. All things. All things are good in the hands of God in our life. Listen, <clears throat> seen a lot of crazy things and a lot of very, very hard things to go through. And I don't know how anybody goes through any of those things without the hope that God can redeem the situation. 
How do you live without the hope that God can redeem it? That God will keep his promise that says, I will work good out of this. The only way I can ever comfort a father who lost his child or, or a, a mother or her daughter or, or a husband his wife or a wife or husband is to let them know that God can redeem it. No matter how much it hurts, no matter how painful it is, God will redeem it. He promises to make something good out of that situation. Now we have a choice. By faith, we believe what God said. Or by sight, we get angry at God. Good news. Doesn't hurt God's feelings. God's a big God. He's able. And here Naomi is saying, hey, God did this to me. The hand of the Lord was against me. Don't you hear it in her voice? God hates me. He took my sons. He took my husband. He's taken it all. I can't help you guys. Just go back home. Don't follow me. You can hear it in her voice. But listen, in the book of Ruth, God has a plan to prosper Naomi. She just can't see it. God has a plan. It's working right now. And God doesn't say, you know what, Naomi, since you're not being grateful, I'm out of here. You know, I'm not even going to work in your life no more. Forget you. And the reason that's important for us to understand is because every single one of us in this room is going to fail God at some point. We're going to fail him in, in our devotion. We're going to fail him in our focus. We're going to fail him or get frustrated by the plans that God's working in our life. But God will never give up on you. Ever. I gave God every opportunity to give up. And I'm still here. And he's still with me. And he'll still be with you. He'll still be with your children. He'll still be with those people in your family that you could think of even right now who aren't walking like they ought to walk or making the choices they ought to make. He loves them too much to let them go. So he'll bring the storm and he'll shake everything that can be shaken. But his plan is for their good, not for their destruction. Now, that's where Naomi is, but she is going to, in this journey, come full circle. She's going to come to realize everything that God's doing for her. <clears throat> well, in verse 14, it says, And they lifted up their voices, and they wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. You know, we have to ask ourselves at this point, which are you? Kisser or a clinger? Tradition says that Orpah went with Naomi for four miles, that she shed four tears, and then she went back home. And she married another man, and she had four sons. One of her sons, you may recognize his name, Goliath. That's tradition. Not in the Bible. Just tradition. What we know of Orpah is she kissed Naomi, and then she left. But Ruth clung to her. 
the scriptures Jesus in describing, or the Lord in describing a marriage said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. That word being joined to his wife is that connotation of clinging. Not just kissing. Clinging. It's you and me till the wheels fall off. When we talk about, in Psalm 61, the the psalmist says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The connotation of that psalm is to come to the rock, which is Christ Jesus, and cling to it. Not just kiss it. People can always make a show of emotion. And they can make things look good on the outside in terms of, of, you know, looking like they're showing that devotion. But there's a definite difference between the kisser Orpah and the clinger Ruth. She held on for all she's worth. She was never letting go. And as a result, she comes to a, a saving knowledge of Almighty God. In fact, she's about to put our faith and trust in God right here in this, in this chapter. As she clings to Naomi and as she puts all her hope and all her prayers in, into Naomi, she clung to her for all she was worth. Totally focused. And it gives us a great picture. What is it to abide in Christ? You know what the scripture lays out for us? I always love, Pastor Chuck always gets the, the questions about eternal security. And, you know, whether or not someone could ever lose their salvation, I'm not even going to bother with it, but I'm going to say, I always like what Chuck said. Chuck says, the Bible says, abide in Christ and I'll abide in you. If you're abiding in Christ, you have nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. What does that mean? Abide. Cling. Cling to. Cling to the Lord. Just like Ruth here gives us that picture of what it is to cling Then, verse 15, she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. And what else? And to her gods. She went away. She went back to human sacrifice and the false gods and the gods of Moab. And she raised her own family somewhere else. And Naomi says to her, return after your sister-in-law. Go where she went. Go back. And I love what Ruth says. And one of the things we see in this is as Ruth and and Orpah and Naomi are going through this, we see if they want to go, you let them go. Sometimes when we try to make their choices for them or get in the way, we actually stop something God's trying to do. There comes a time, it's not when my kids were five, but there comes a time when I have to let my sons make their choices. I'm going to give them all the counsel I can, and I'm going to do my best to direct them. But there comes a point when you can't father a 20-year-old or a 22-year-old or one that's married and has children and lives in California. You have to let them go. And let the Lord, trust the Lord to work in their life. And so, 
<laughs> Naomi lets her go and encourages Ruth to leave. But listen, Ruth is committed. Ruth is not just talk. Ruth is about the walk. I love Ruth. It says in chapter in verse 16, she says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. She's making steadfast commitment. Don't ask me to leave. I ain't going anywhere. She's making steadfast commitment. Then she makes a humble commitment right here. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. She makes this humble commitment. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. She's saying, the worst that God has is better than land in this toilet. Living here. The worst that you ever had in the house of bread and the land of praise is better than what I got here. I'll go where you go. I'll lodge where you lodge. And your people will be my people. That's unashamed commitment. Your people are mine. No longer the Moabite, no longer Moabitess, I'll, I'll leave it all. Your people are my people now. She makes that unashamed commitment, and then she makes a spiritual commitment. And your God, my God. She lays out for her this, this total concept of, of being committed. She's saying, man, I'm, I'm steadfast. You don't ask me to leave, I ain't going. I love this. I love it. Wherever you go, I will go. She didn't say if it's good. She just said wherever you go. Whenever I read this section, I always like to <laughs> think about me talking to the Lord that way. That that's my commitment to him. Don't ask me to leave God. I ain't going nowhere. You and me till the wheels fall off. Where you lead... I will go. When we sing a song like that, you know, where you lead, I'm going to go. Who you love, I'm going to love. You know, where you direct me, that's going to be my direction. Your people are my people. Isn't that the kind of commitment that God wants from his people? Your people are my people. There was a time I looked at people in the church and I thought they're all weirdos. Don't make me like one of those people, God. I want to still be cool. I discovered I never was cool in the first place. (laughs) Being cool is an illusion. And honestly, I'm closer to my brothers and sisters in the church than I am to my brothers and sisters in the flesh. I love my brothers and sisters. And there are also my, well, I don't have sisters, but my brothers are my brothers in Christ as well. But I have had greater relationship and, and, and a feeling of unity and belonging in the body of Christ than any place else. Anywhere else. Your people are my people, God. That's who I am. That's who I want to be. That's who I want to be numbered with. Your God is my God. And then... We have total commitment. Where you die, 
I will die. And there I will be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. Man, when Ruth is talking to Naomi, this is not just, you know, I think I'm going to try this out. And if it works, isn't that how some people come to their faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experiment with it. You know, I'll take a little fire insurance out and just kind of see how it goes. And if, and if life gets better, you know, I think I might stick with this Jesus thing. But, you know, if it gets hard, I'm going back to Moab. That's not the kind of commitment we see in Ruth, is it? Utter, complete, total, sold out. I like that. That's the kind of commitment that I want to have. There are times in my life my commitment was a lot more like Orpah. You know, I'm committed, but don't ask me to do too much. I'm committed, but don't pester me or ask me to come to church more than Sunday morning. I'm committed, but don't ask me to get involved with them kids for crying out loud. If I want kids anymore, I'd go have some. But that's not the attitude of Ruth, is it? Utter, complete, total commitment. Wherever you go, wherever you lead, whatever you want, till death do us part. Where you die, I will die, and there I'll be buried. It's utter, total, wonderful commitment. And I think that's the kind of attitude that the Lord looks for from each and every one of us. The steadfast commitment, the humble commitment, the unashamed commitment, and spiritual commitment, utter, complete total when she saw that she was determined to go with her she stopped speaking to her that's kind of how it is sometimes with well women (laughs) that would never bother a man (laughs) that's it she just said you know what forget it then i'm not talking to you now don't worry it's not going to last very long but she's walking in silence, you know. She's probably hoping not to have the responsibility of having to figure out how to feed another mouth when she goes back home. Because she doesn't have a husband. How's she going to eat? How's she going to live? Where is she going to sleep? The house isn't still there. The property's not there. And if it was, it would be in her husband's name. So she's going to go back with really nowhere to go. But as she goes back, she says, I'm not going to talk to her for a while. And it says, now, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? So when she comes home, it's this great outpouring of, of devotion to her. Oh, Naomi's come back. She's been gone 10 years. She's been gone 10 years that people still remembered her. People still cared about her. She still mattered to them. (laughs) When I look at this, I think that's the kind of attitude that God wants from us within the church. Any period of time, if you've been involved in church life very long at all, people go and people come. And if you stay around long enough, you'll see people go and come back. 
And when they do, our job is to love on them. To welcome them with open arms. It's all the body of Christ. Ain't nobody's keeping score on who's going where. It's just having that attitude that says, oh, it's Naomi. Pleasant has come home. Pleasant has come back. But Pleasant is a little cranky. (laughs) They say, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Mara means bitter. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. Because God hates me. That's what he's saying. Don't call me pleasant because I'm coming back with nothing. Don't call me pleasant because my life isn't all coming together like, like maybe I think it ought to. Don't call me pleasant because all those things that God's word said, I'm here I am with nothing. I mean, I don't know. God didn't take care of me. But he just got her back home, didn't he? He got her back to a people who loved her, didn't he? And the people who cared for her. When our attitude is bad, then bad is all we can see. When our attitude is negative, all we can see is the downside. All we can see is what we've lost. And we don't have eyes to see what we've gained. Or the hand of God moving in our life. And most of us, if we're honest, we can look back at our life at very dark, difficult times, and we can say, oh, look, there's the fingerprint of God on my life. There's a hand of God guiding me. There's a hand of God leading me. You know, at this moment in my life, I really thought that nothing was going to work out. But then five years later, I go, wow, you know, God really knew what he was doing. He knew what was was happening. He had a plan, and his plan was good. Or we can allow that frustration in our life to blind us to the realities of life. I mean, isn't really that what happened with the nation of Israel when Messiah came? What was their frustration? We want delivered from the Romans. We want the, the yoke of oppression cast off. We want them whooped. We want them beat like they beat us. We want all this change because they didn't have what they wanted. They couldn't see what was standing before them. They still don't. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. And the blinders will be taken off. And then they will begin to see. It's worked out as a blessing for us. Part of God's plan to reach into the lives of the Gentiles and bring salvation to you or I. But we've been grafted in, Paul says in the book of Romans. And lest we be filled up with pride at our position grafted into the tree, Paul says, you know, if God grafted you who are a wild olive branch to the natural tree, how much easier will it be for him to graft the natural back? Pretty easy. And we start to think when we look at the things and we read the stories about the nation of Israel and their failure, we start to think somehow that we aren't like them. We're just like them. The failures and the struggles that they have, we have. 
So if we want to overcome those, then we have to go in with our eyes open and recognize, you know, I need to have an attitude that says, I I have a heart of thanksgiving, even for the hard things. To be thankful. At Jeannie's passing this last week, I, I practiced, I decided to practice praying for the good. Being thankful for the time that I got with Jeannie. Being thankful that she's in heaven. Being thankful that the day she went and saw Jesus was the best day of her life. Bar none. And choosing to look at it that way totally changes my attitude. It totally changes how I minister. It totally changes how I reach out. And it doesn't mean I don't mourn with those who mourn. Of course I do. Nor do I give them grief because they're mourning. Everyone's got to go through that process. And the Bible says mourn with those who mourn, not give them grief. Right? So we mourn with those who mourn. And we strengthen feeble knees. And we come alongside and we help out. But I'm not sad for Jeannie. I'm, my heart breaks for family, but not for Jeannie. Man, she's in great hands. And our prayer for her all along was... Would God heal her or he'd take her quick? And he answered her prayer. He said, I'm not going to heal her. She's coming home to me. That's my daughter. And it's time for her to come home. And that's what she did. And if we'll have eyes to see the blessing and being thankful for the hand of God moving in our lives, rather than looking at everything like it's the, the beat, getting beat with the ugly stick from God all the time, it will change our attitude for what's going on around us, what's happening in our life. Well, Naomi's not in that place. And so as a result, God says, well, you know what, Naomi, that's it. Twice you've been blaming me for everything, and I'm done with you. No, he doesn't. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on her? God doesn't give up on you? He doesn't give up on me. He doesn't give up on our children. Listen, she said, <coughs> don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She has no idea what's going on. Does she? She has no idea the love story that God's going to weave and how he's going to use her and Ruth as an example of the nation of Israel and the church. And how through a relationship between Ruth, the Gentile who speaks of the church, and Boaz, the strength, who, the, the hero of the story who speaks of our Savior, and through their relationship, he's going to turn bitter Naomi pleasant again. Just like through the relationship between the church and Christ, God's going to turn the nation of Israel pleasant again. Turn them from their bitterness. Turn them from their, their attitude. You see it if you go to Israel today. You go to Israel today, they will tell you, don't tell me I'm God's favorite people. Let somebody else be his favorite people for a while because this job stinks. If you ever saw Fiddler on the Roof, that line's in the movie, isn't it? I wish God would make somebody else's favorite people. Of the most persecuted people on the face of the earth. 
They're bitter. They're angry. Just like Naomi. 10% are practicing. That's it. But the Lord says, I'm going I'm to draw them to me from the four corners of the earth. And they'll look on me as one looks at their only son. They're going to recognize their Messiah. The day will come. True Israel, not every Jew, but true Israel, they're going to recognize. They're going to see him. They're going to love him. They're going to turn to him. They're going to come. A day will happen. Right now, we're in the middle of this story, right? Time of the judges. The world is crazy. And there's a love story going on between Jesus and the church. Or Ruth and Boaz. Days are coming. When God's going to bring this story all the way through. He's going to show us it all. But right now, Naomi, she's upset. She's mad at God again. Look what she says in verse 21. I went out full. What? You guys were here when we read verse 1, right? What did verse 1 say? In those days there was a famine. Does that mean they left full? So apparently they left hungry, didn't they? So she says in verse 21, I went out full and the Lord brought me home again empty. Is that true? (sighs) Our perspective is so skewed by our emotions and how we look at, at our life. And she thinks, I had it all when we left. And I'm coming back with nothing. What she's going to discover is, in Ruth, her daughter-in-law, she has the greatest gift she could ever be given. She's got the one who's going to provide for her all her life. She's got God working upon her behalf. She has it all, she just can't see it yet. But her attitude is changed by by the circumstances. Because the furnace of affliction oftentimes leads us to two places. A place where we're better or a place where we're bitter. And she's already told us where she went, right? She went into a place of bitterness. I went out full and the Lord brought me home empty again. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. You hear it? God hates me. He's taken away everything. What she says is true. Almighty has afflicted her. Nothing enters into our life that doesn't pass first through the hands of a God who loves us. But his plans for me are good, not evil. To give me a future and a hope. So it says, Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Sometime between April and May. They're there also at the time of Passover. Interesting. Here Naomi says, God took everything away from me, yet she came home anyway. She's going to find herself a place to stay. At the end of chapter 1, she doesn't seem very hopeful. But by the end of chapter 4, she's stoked. God keeps this promise that He has for you and I, the same promise He has 
for Reynolds family or for all the other families, for that matter, around Castleford who are going through difficult times. This is the promise. I will turn your mourning to joy. God's doing it. He's doing it even now. We may not see it. They don't see it yet, do they? They're about to. They're about to see God move on their behalf in an amazing, incredible way. But when we're in the midst of that furnace of affliction and we can't see what's working out and how it's all going to come together, then we have to make a decision. Are you a kisser? Are you going to kiss and bail? Or are you going to cling? you going to turn your back and go back to the other gods? Or are you going to make that full commitment? Deeper commitment? Stronger commitment? Well, that's what God's calling us to. The willingness to say, where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. It's you and me the wheels fall off. That's what the Lord is looking for from us. Even in the midst of the difficulties and the storms and the hard times. Total, utter, complete commitment. And watch what God does. The same thing He's going to do with Ruth and Naomi. Amen? Just stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this time where we can come before you, Father. And we thank you for that opportunity to study the book of Ruth, God, this love story, this prophetic story about God working in the life of his people and bringing them into a right relationship with him through a love story between a Gentile bride and a Savior. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see as we continue this study, as we go on, God, that you would help us to recognize and see ourselves and see in ourselves where we're like Naomi and see within ourselves where we're like Ruth and see within ourselves how we might be able to respond to Boaz. And Lord, to just know, God, you have a plan for our life and it is good. Help us trust you with everything that's within us. No matter how the wind blows, we will go where you send us. And we will follow you to the ends of the earth. And we will be clinging to you for all we're worth in the midst of the storm. For (coughs) our rock cannot be moved. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out tonight in a time of worship. I want to invite you to worship with us. <coughs> Excuse me. Outside, there's cake. I already ate it all. No, you didn't. There's more cake. And, and so I'll meet you guys around the snacks. God bless you guys. Have a great week.
Shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves? Their own soul could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deep. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us. Let us out of death. You alone belong. Thank、you
Lord, you alone deserve our praises, Lord God. May we, like Ruth, cling tightly to you, Lord God. Lord, uh, may you find us running to you, Lord God. Lord, uh, help us, Lord, uh, by your Spirit, Lord. That you would be our Lord and God, our all in all. Lord, that we would be called by your name. In Jesus' name, amen.